What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today on this Fall Guys esports edition is Tyler Esqueda of Dot Esports. Hey. And later on, we'll have Josh, Jash, Marcotte on to talk Panda Global launching a Fall Guys esports team. But first, Worlds. This past weekend hosted a slew of competition in League of Legends to see which teams would advance to the World Championships in Shanghai. There were ups, downs, and one notable disqualification in Cloud9. So, Tyler, going into Worlds, actually before we get into Worlds, you know, this past weekend's competition leading into Worlds, I mean, what were some of the main storylines and kind of how were some of those storylines upended? Well, um, one of the biggest stories that people were kind of surprised by was the kind of collapse of cloud nine this year mm-hmm. um and it wasn't even this year it was very very sudden it was like they dominated the spring split in north america they went on a 35 and 2 win streak i believe going through the spring into the summer they won the first eight games of the summer and everyone thought that they would you know be the best team coming out of north america to go to worlds but the last few weeks of the season were pretty much disastrous for their team. It was uh, started off with some people saying, oh, you know, they're just experimenting with their, their compositions or, oh, they just had a bad day. But once they started to actually lose multiple games to teams that they shouldn't be losing to, and they even had a 0-2 week in there, and suddenly everybody's starting to sweat. A lot of Cloud9 fans were like, okay, I don't, we don't know what's happening. And... Uh, with their loss, their most recent loss to TSM, it kind of was clear. One of their biggest game plans moving forward into 2020 was to emulate kind of the playstyles that they saw from teams like Fun Plus Phoenix from last year, which was a really good mid-jungle synergy. Um, as we saw throughout the spring, for example, uh, Niski and Blabber worked really, really well together to roam together and affect their side lanes. And for some reason, whether it was, you know, the meta shift or just they kind of maybe got complacent, we're not sure yet, uh, that kind of synergy might have broken down a bit. And it felt like their cohesiveness as a duo uh, kind of broke down a little. And as a result, the rest of the team couldn't function as properly because that playstyle wasn't working. Well, you know, kind of explain to, to the listeners, you know, if a team is, you know, playing so dominantly, I mean, how badly do things really have to go for them to be completely kicked out? I mean, when, like, you just got to start, like, it's, 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 it's a, it was really, really a drastic turn because of how much they'd won. Uh, and it's because the spring split technically doesn't count towards worlds either, which makes it even worse because the summer was like everything they had to go to worlds and they ultimately just faltered not even like they faltered in the last couple of weeks of the uh, the regular season and then during the the playoffs all of those problems just kind of culminated into these really really bad losses that kind of snowballed onto one another i felt like their first round loss kind of snowballed in a bad way into their tsm series and it just carried on from there. And I don't know if there's going to be any changes to that roster or to the coaching staff because it feels like they didn't adapt to maybe the changes in the meta. Um, because I don't think that like their opponents were playing incredibly well either. I don't think that they were... I don't think that they've improved a ton. Like, for example, TSM, when they beat Cloud9, they still had a lot of problems in that roster. And even Doublelift said in the beginning... Like, 
Doublelift even said that this was the most stress he's ever felt in his life in terms of a series. And sometimes they didn't know what they were doing either. And so for Cloud9 to go from such from the best team in North America to falling against a team like TSM, who, in my mind, still hasn't gotten that kind of uh, roster cohesion yet. Like, they, they seem good enough now, and I feel like that win against C9 has really helped their confidence. But before that series... Uh, it didn't feel like they were all there in terms of playing as one unit. And for C9 to lose against a team like that just goes to show that these problems are running pretty deep. You know, of the teams that qualified from the LCS and LEC, it's Liquid, FlyQuest, TSM, Fnatic, G2, Rogue, and Mad Lions. Um, based on kind of these seven teams and their performance, who, which team do you feel has the best shot at winning Worlds? That's, it's pretty easy. Yeah, G2, like, they had a weird summer split just because I think that they were kind of, well, like, Yankos had already said that they're trying to take it a little bit more easily because, you know, burnout's pretty easy to to, to fall under um, in esports. And so he said that they had started to kind of move away from the game a little bit, play some other games, try to avoid burnout because that's the worst thing you can ever experience as a player. Because then you just don't want to play anymore, which means that it affects your play, your, your gameplay, and then that affects your team. Um, and so a lot of people, when they started losing games in the summer split, and they were kind of hovering as a fifth, fourth place team, everyone's like, oh no, like the age of G2 is done. Everyone keeps forgetting that if they want to turn it on, they can turn it on whenever they want. And we saw that in the playoffs. Obviously, they lost to a Fnatic team that, I guess, finally got their their, their themselves together, but... Everyone's still scared of G2 because, like I said, they, they are so creative with their drafts. They are explosive. Um, and I'm telling you, they're still, I, I'm, I'm sure that they still have some tricks up their sleeve in terms of um, drafts and, 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 and play styles because they are so, they're still one of the deepest rosters in the West, in my opinion. They've got so much talent, and especially in a best of five, I think that they can still succeed. So I think that G2 is still... Out of those seven teams, the most likely. Um, and, I mean, this year at Worlds, they'll be playing on home t- home soil, right? Because things were changed due to the pandemic. Well, they, they were they were going to play in China already. It was like, that was... Oh, 2021 that was changed, right? Uh, no, no, no. So th- this year it was supposed to be in China, but then they weren't sure. So that's why they had to, like, they weren't sure uh, if they were going to host it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they went ahead with it because they're going to do the bubble. Well, you know, speaking of the bubble, I think it's a good time to transition to that. So Worlds is taking place in Shanghai in this bubble. Uh, only players, te- uh, teams, coaching staff are allowed. No press. Um, I mean, what, and, you know, obviously there are going to be no fans. So d- will this give American and European teams an advantage, knowing that, you know, there won't be... 10,000 screaming Chinese fans uh, rooting against them? I mean, in a way, I, I feel like there are some certain players who feed off of that energy. Uh, like, uh, Obviously, there are other players who prefer not having, like, yeah, like you said, 10,000 screaming fans. And like, they, they have the headsets that actually block out the sound, but you can still feel right. the vibrations through your feet. That's what they've said. Sure. And that all adds pressure that you could never believe, right? And then you look around yourself and you see all these fans and... That's obviously a crazy amount of pressure to put on someone. But there's also other pl- players who love that. They love the moment. And so depending on the type of player, it'll have to... Yeah, it's just going to have to depend on the type of player that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the biggest impact points that you know not having a crowd is going to affect is the new players. Um, for example, like Knight and uh, Kanavi from uh, JDG. 
they're those are this, they're coming into their first world's appearance ever, and to be honest, this isn't really a complete world's experience because a lot of the experience is the fans. Yeah, they haven't they haven't really grown into you know what are what are called tournament shoes, right? Where you get used to the idea of playing in front of large crowds, and maybe maybe it'll feel more at home for them knowing that it's just like an empty room. Yeah, it. it Obviously, there's still going to be pressure on their shoulders because it's worlds, and you can't take right, away that right. pressure. But yeah, like not having those fans there is a huge part of it, and I think it's just a huge part of sports in general, right? Like the NBA, not having like every single NBA player that we can talk about, they say it's different. It just feels different. Yeah. Uh, do you know? Do you know if uh, Riot is going to have what the NBA is doing, where they have screens and people kind of like video conference in? Uh, I don't think I'm, I haven't heard any news about that. It would be cool if they did that. Uh, but I don't know if they will, uh, depending, I guess it depends on like the venue to see if yeah. it's like viable to maybe, I don't know, project it onto like the, the, the seats maybe. I'm not sure. There, there hasn't I, been I, much. I, I just feel that somebody's going to throw up like a, a pro Hong Kong thing and then it's going to cause a huge, <laughs> huge, huge problem. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that compared to the NBA bubble, the, um, world bubble will not have press. I mean, you as a journalist, I mean, what do you make of this? Why do you think Riot has, Riot in China have pretty much said, uh, no, no press allowed. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it's just safety, right? Um, makes sense because you'll have multiple people from all over the world. Um, yeah, but isn't that kind of unfortunate that like there's no independent sources documenting this very historic moment of uh, like a world championship happening with it within a bubble? I mean, yeah, like it, it's 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 tr- it's pretty sad, but at the same like, yeah, it <laughs> it is it is pretty tragic, but I think that. You know, I th- so so we're gonna be getting to talk to them through um, online means, like the, the players right, and the staff, right. uh, players and the and the coaches or whatever. But of course, it's not gonna be the same as actually being in front of them and talking to them. Um, but again, uh, I understand that they want to keep their players safe, they want to keep the staff safe, and they try to, they're trying to minimize risk. And like I said, like uh, when the NBA, you're getting you know. Uh, a few people from like the same place, like the U.S. or something, that are going to be doing these interviews, which is why they're allowed to get in. But for mm-hmm. Worlds, which is an international, true international event, you're getting people from Europe and and, and North America and uh, Korea, China, and all these other places that'll all convene. And I guess that's too risky for them. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's nothing too. I get sad, but again, minimizing the risk for the players and the staff and things like that. Yeah, one of the most interesting things, at least about the NBA bubble, is actually reading some of the accounts from journalists and just kind of this weird alternate reality that the NBA is experiencing while the rest of the country is kind of melting down. Um, so I've really kind of enjoyed listening, reading those reports, and I long to kind of be there, right, where you just get like your Mickey Mouse fed buffets and um, whatnot. And I don't know, but it, it's going to be interesting. Um, I guess ultimately, your final thoughts on who you think if you're a betting person, would, would take Worlds this year? The smart, the smart analyst in me is looking at top esports. I was like, the meta has shifted now where proactivity, aggressiveness, like aggression is, is king. And mm-hmm. top esports has that, and they have just individual incredible talent. Knight is arguably the best player in the world right now. Um, mm. Jackie Love, I told, I said like a couple years ago when this, he was like 17 or 18, I said, this kid's going to be the best ADC soon. And although he still has some of those kind of pitfalls that come with, cause he's very aggressive to a fault on sometimes, mm-hmm. but I still think that his mechanical skill is t- 
one in a million. And I think that he's like him, Knight, Karsa in the jungle. I think that they just got too much skill and synergy and just a pure aggression that they're just going to run over teams at Worlds. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see another like LPL versus LEC finals just because of how... Because Korea, they, of course, it's, it's Korea. They have great players, but I don't think that they've adapted to this kind of style yet. I still think that they're going to get overwhelmed by like, um, and the and the overall aggression that like the Chinese teams and even the European teams to an extent, right? Um, I think that they can do really really well, but I I, I do think that it's going to be a European team and a and a Chinese team at in the finals. Well, before we close off this segment, we still have a fan of the week question, and our fan of the week question comes from Brandon. Hi, my name is Brandon, and uh, my question for the show is, what differences do you see in how the FGC is covered versus how other esports are covered, like LOL or CSGO? What do you guys think is lacking, and uh, what could be better? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, Brandon. So, you know, the way I have always seen coverage differ between the FGC and maybe, like, League or Counter-Strike, I, you know, I kind of treat it how maybe coverage of the NBA or NFL compares to, like, the MMA, um, in that, you know, the, F- the FGC is very underground, uh, very grassroots, kind of like the MMA, while, you know, the NBA or the NFL, it's very mainstream. So you have a lot of production talent, like, let's say from an ESPN esports, going towards these big banner events um, for League, for CSGO. Uh, and then when an FGC, ev- I mean, you know, I did a lot of FGC coverage for ESPN. Um, so whenever an FGC event does come around, you know, they know it gets some decent traffic and some hits. So, you know, they'll send me out and I'll, you know, do some write-ups and that's it. You know, very seldom do they, you know, bring a whole camera crew with them. And, you know, there's a few reasons for this. It's because, like, there are, the FGC, there are a lot of different games in it, so there are a lot of different communities. So it's hard to see how, you know, covering a story about Mango, who's a Super Smash Brothers Melee player, uh, can attract, like, the same number of clicks and viewers if, you know, if instead they did a story about Faker or Doublelift. Right. So um, while Mango is is very popular for the FGC, you know, he doesn't have like a million plus followers on Twitter. So I'd I'd say it's kind of like in the resources that you see and what's dedicated. And that just goes back into the audience. The only way I could say that really shifting is if the communities for the FGC start really giving uh, articles written about them a lot more traffic and a lot more clicks. Right. So the reason why like ESPN was always okay with doing more smash coverage was that it would still bring in a decent amount of traffic because it would always jump up to the top of the r smash Bros subreddit and a few facebook groups and whatnot so it would be kind of worth it to them while let's say in the tekken like a tekken story unless or a street fighter story unless it was like some really breakout important piece of news like arslan ash winning evo japan and then evo north america this like kid from pakistan um you know other than just those like really unique cases you know doing a write-up on how Tokido or Ni, you know, won X tournament, just didn't really pull in the same number, the same amount of traffic. Um, Tyler? For a lot of people, it's not worth it to send it to all of these different, whereas like League and CSGO, they're just this, it's like way bigger in scale. And so, and it's one main big league at the end of the day. And I think that... Right. Uh, I mean, the fact that like League is just one game and FGC is like what, a, a cool community of games, right? 
games. Exactly, right? in multiple a multitude of games, and it can be really tough to like focus in on certain games, not knowing that like maybe it won't be as popular. Like you don't know the numbers because there's so many. Um, so th- I think that, like you said, you you gotta really just come from the community. It has to come from the community, kind of just pushing, pushing uh, you know the scene a lot more in terms of traction, because you just need to work harder. Well, with that, Tyler, thank you so much. Yeah, yep. And now I'm joined by Director of Logistics and Fall Guys Pro Player for Panda Global, Josh Jash Marcotte. Earlier this week, Panda Global announced that it would be getting into Team Esports. The organization has largely centered around fighting games, calling itself the number one 1v1 esports organization. There was some speculation as to what game the team would jump into. Nobody expected Fall Guys. Fall Guys is the latest internet sensation. Developed by Mediatonic, it's a battle royale game that meets the show Wipeout. It's zany, it's funny, it's hilarious to watch. But Fall Guys Esports? So Josh, normally I have other journalists on this show, but there aren't many journalists that cover competitive Fall Guys. I wasn't even aware that there was a competitive scene at this point. So first, are there even tournaments for Fall Guys? I mean, how did you guys even come up with the idea to launch a Fall Guys team? Sure, so uh, there are actually tournaments and, and events that are happening now. Um, obviously, Fall Guys is fairly new, came out uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, it might be a month at this point. Um, but we have seen competitions and we have seen uh, live events that are admittedly very viewer-friendly, viewer-centric, as opposed to truly competitive. Um, but there are sort of rule sets that are emerging and, and ways of competing in the game. Um, we had Tenno, a production company, a couple weeks ago do one where teams of four had 90 minutes to collect as many uh, crowns as they could. And that ended up being very exciting. Just a little while ago, um, another sort of format emerged that's based on points, how many rounds you make it. Even if you don't get a crown, you get points for getting further into the competition. Um, and it created a really dramatic finish as people tried to scramble for points in the last second. Uh, so even though it's obviously very casual, there is a space for it to be played in a somewhat competitive way. But obviously, no matter what we do, it's still Fall Guys, it's still fun. You know, the, the, the when I when I first saw the news, the thing that came to my mind was the efficacy of competition, right? Because even in a game like Fortnite, which does have, you know, these multi-million dollar tournaments, players do complain that, hey, you know, if I randomly get this really powerful gun, then I have this unfair advantage. And to me, Fall Guys just sometimes, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of skill, but sometimes uh, the zaniness can harm that competitive efficacy. Do you agree with what I'm saying or am I missing something? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's a lovely nexus in the world of esports right now, uh, a lovely space in the world of esports right now, where we can have um, these events that, uh, sure, on one hand, you can have things akin to chess that are presumably all skill. Um, but I also think there are plenty of instances of games that have gotten very big that do have elements of randomness. And if the element of randomness is that uh, uh, an un- unaffiliated player uh, grabs you last second and prevents you from getting a crown. I don't think that makes it any less exciting as an esport. If anything, I think it adds, just like with Fortnite, a level of intrigue. What could happen in the last second to undermine the strategy? You could have the perfect run. You could you could know exactly how to get from A to B uh, with no mistakes, but there's always the human element added in. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, I wonder, it's always cool until, you know, there's this multi-million dollar prize and then somebody ends up losing for, you know, for something that they feel was illegitimate. Uh, so, I mean, what, what does this, what's going to happen when that instance eventually occurs? 
I think it comes with the with the ticket of what you're joining. Uh, if you join a rock, paper, scissors tournament, for instance, uh, you're going to have to understand that you could be the most skilled player in the world and there's still going to be some, some randomness inherent to who you get matched up against or whatever. Um, I don't know that we'll see multi-million dollar prizes in Fall Guys. Uh, and if we do, I think that'll be a really interesting uh, experience to, to, to have. But um, at very least, we keep in mind, and, and this is maybe from the Panda Global point of view, we're keeping in mind that this is a fun game with really zany things that happen. It's very watchable. It's a lot of fun to watch people you know interact with other folks you know or, or know of. Um, and the social element is really great, especially right now in a time where we don't see a whole lot of each other face to face. And there aren't so many games that really encourage socialization as much as Fall Guys is. I mean, I think one of the cool things about uh, the idea of a competitive Fall Guys scene is it. I, I just don't see how anybody could not watch it, right? I, already the game is just so fun to just watch. All the clips online that I see are so entertaining. Um, I mean, have we heard of any you know major esports leagues that are that are going to really jump into this and start investing some real money into this kind of competitive scene? We've already seen a couple sort of big players uh, come into the picture. Red Bull sponsored something fairly recently. Um, Twitch Rivals has a Fallout event every... uh, Sorry, has a Fall Guys event every Friday. Um, And so we already see some of the sort of familiar faces in esports. I'm not sure about league structures. Uh, I've not heard of any sort of larger league structures come into play. But again, with names like Red Bull and Twitch Rivals... um, the steps are already there. The basis is already there. Whether or not folks feel like it's legitimate esport or not, it has the legitimate esports underpinnings already. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I I don't know if like the hardcore esports fandom will push back against the idea uh, just because the game is so beloved at the moment. Uh, I do see that you know, as if it continues growing in popularity and viewership, like what is preventing an NBC sports network from like picking it up? Because generally NBCSN, when they do get into esports, they, they stay away from the counter strikes. They stick to like the rocket leagues, uh, the games that are more widely, I guess you would say family friendly. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, this is the epitome of nonviolent. The the most violent this ever gets is the awkward, like oof sound when you bump into somebody and yeah, sure. (laughs) There's, there's some games where you can push other people off and, and they fall kind of uh, lightly into slime and presumably are reborn somewhere. The, the, uh, the mythos of the, of the whole game or the, the mythology of the whole game is really ambiguous, and I think that's, that's good. Um, but I agree. I think this is, um, as opposed to Fortnite, which has elements of gun violence and this sort of thing, albeit very cartoonized and, and sort of silly, Fall Guys is insanely marketable in that regard. Yeah, so, you know, one thing that I'm really curious about are some of the techniques that have come up in competitive Fall Guys, you know, that usually happens when a game gets super competitive. What are some of these techniques that uh, you and your team are uncovering, or maybe they're exploits, I don't know how you'd call it, and how do you think it'll affect future kind of metagame strategy? Sure. I think uh, one of the cool pieces about the Fall Guys community is that it's comprised of, of so many folks from across gaming that we're seeing um, different folks from different communities find different techniques. Um, I know a lot about, for instance, how to route my runs on the more race-based levels from people who have a background in speedrunning. Of course, right? It makes total sense that they would know, they would have expertise in figuring out how to best route things. Alternatively, I understand, um, I get uh, insight from, from my fighting game background when it comes to things like mind games. If I have, say, a tail on one of the tail mini games and I'm trying to juke the other person, uh, I sort of lean on my own knowledge of conditioning and what people might expect um, from playing fighting games that sort of gives me an edge there. 
Uh, and so in terms of, of, of techniques that are coming across, it's right now a lot of things are leaning on how to uh, get across levels faster, how to move faster. Movement, when you first start playing Fall Guys, feels really unilateral. And it isn't especially deep, but there are elements to it um, that make you able to move faster, jump further, this sort of thing that do take practice and finesse. And, and uh, I'm excited to see, as the time goes on, as more players start to develop these, we'll start seeing folks maybe who are, who are specialists in, for instance, landing with very little recovery time. Um, and I can't believe I just used the expression recovery time uh, when talking about Fall Guys, but here we are. Um, <laughs> there's all these little things about collision boxes. And as we get more into the trenches of, of what makes this game function, um, obviously, on one hand, we have to accept that uh, the game is built to be very silly. The physics are built to be very silly, uh, kind of ragdolly, and so some things won't carry over. Uh, for instance, uh, you won't be seeing too many Kara cancels or too many uh, sort of complex fighting game things built in unless they're accidentally there. Uh, I did see, actually, the other day, you can cancel like the lag of falling uh, in a certain way, which reminded me so severely of a lot of like anime and traditional fighting games mm-hmm. uh, where you cancel animations with others. League of Legends as well, to an extent. Um, but yeah, the, the techniques are exceedingly simple. Uh, nothing yet has really struck me as impossible for anyone to do. And then how did you guys recruit the players on your team? How did you guys find them? Sure. So uh, everyone on the Pentagon Esports team, or Pentagon Fall Guys team, uh, was already part of the organization. Uh, Kony and Mars come from the Smash Ultimate side. Fullstream comes from the Rivals of Ether side. I come from the, the staff, uh, but also with a Smash Ultimate background. Uh, we had Wolfie VGC, uh, a Pokemon World Champion, who's part of our team. We also have Katana Prime, who joins us fairly regularly, our Mortal Kombat player. When the game first came out, we were definitely excited about it as a team. Uh, we had had our eye on it for a while, and we built ourselves up right away to be one of the teams that played it on release weekend. We wanted it to be something we played together because it looked ridiculously fun, even in the previews. Um, the, E3, uh, the E3 showings from a year ago we're still stuck with a few of us, and we were excited about the potential for it. And as we played it in the first week, we realized there's quite a bit of talent that kind of transcends gaming within our team for this title. Uh, and it, what began as, hmm, I wonder if we have the components of a team, very quickly turned into, oh my gosh, four is the limit for a team. We have seven, eight, or nine players that really are doing very well. Uh, how do we fit them all in? And we eventually developed this sort of idea of, well, we should treat this like an eSport then and have roles, right? Have positions that people sort of fulfill. And that way the team isn't especially heavily balanced towards one kind of game or one competency. Uh, and so we're, we're always shifting. Players will come in and come out during scrims. We have a sort of core four, but it's shaky. Someone might get dropped. It's sort of, we're, we're embracing the fun of the title uh, mm-hmm. and also in the composition of the eSports team. Uh, did you guys get a salary bump? Uh, I didn't. I can't speak for my other players. <laughs> well, I mean, still really, really cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm totally excited to see more Fall Guys events and some real pro teams uh, take it. Uh, I just think the entire idea of it is so silly, but definitely something that uh, is also equally wholesome. So with that, thank you so much for jumping on, Josh. Of course. Yeah, and I hope everyone continues to have fun with the game. Uh We've seen a lot of traction recently in social media of folks that are having the perennial, you know, try hard versus casual debate. Um, but I think what's great about a title like Fall Guys and and the team such as ours is it shows that there's a space for everything and a game can be fun across the board. 
and uh, we're looking forward to still having fun with it. Mm, definitely. Thank you so much. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Your support will help our show grow. To see full transcripts of the show or links to our Patreon, head on over to ftwmod.com. If you'd like to follow Tyler and his work over at .esports, follow him on Twitter at Tyler underscore is underscore online. If you'd like to follow Josh, you can find him at Jash on Twitter. That's J-A-A-S-H. If you'd like to follow my writing over at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, follow me at Imad on Twitter. Annie Pay is our producer. If you have any questions or would like to submit a Fan of the Week question, reach out to her at Pay underscore Annie on Twitter. Joe Domic is our outreach manager, and Ron Lyons is our researcher. With that, we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>